tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. There's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, today we have an exciting word of the day. I'm not even sure I know what it means. I hope I figure something out between now and then. It's really interesting. Well, you know me. I see something shiny and I go for it. Let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let's open the big book on the coffee table. You know the one. The Bible. Let's look at the first reading, Jeremiah, the 17th chapter, the 5th verse to the 10th. And uh, this, oh, I'm going to complain again here. I'm sorry. But a lava way. Curse the man who trusts in human beings. I'll get back to that. I want to I wanna grind my axe here. He's like a barren bush in the desert that enjoys no change of season but stands in a lava waste. That lava waste? Why, why would an ancient Hebrew writer talk about a lava waste? So I looked it up. And it doesn't mean a lava. When we think lava, we, it's from a volcano. It just means in the southern desert, in the Arabah, in the in the in the in the flat desert, and uh, the salt and empty earth. Well, that's that that that, that the text does say that. And you know, it's it's again, it's the problem of English that we have so many words uh, for the same thing, whereas most languages have one word uh, that by our standards, does double duty. They don't think it does double duty. That's just, you know, this is what the word means. It's very difficult to enter into the mind of another person speaking another language. And uh, that's why a lot of us Americans don't bother with it. But moving along, let's get back to the text. Cursed is the man who trusts in human beings. That sounds kind of, uh, it sounds kind of negative. Uh, um but John says that about Jesus. Uh, I'm, I've looked it up on another computer, so i got to get it here. Uh, he did not trust himself to them. Of course, we have to have the music, the elevator music while I'm doing this. But that's well, we all don't right. Want people to just have to hear you typing. Well, that's true. That I suppose it's something. Yeah, it works. All right, John, 224, I found it. This is, this is. Exactly the same idea. Jesus would not entrust himself. This is early on in the Gospel of John, John 2, 24. Um, uh, uh, 
Jesus is in Jerusalem at the Passover feast. Many people saw the signs he was doing and believed in his name, but Jesus did not, and they translated, entrust himself to them, for he knew them all. He did not need testimony about man, for he knew what was in man. Oh, this is interesting. Jesus didn't, uh, what's that song, Traveling on Now for Jesus, Don't Take Everybody to Be Your Friend? It's good advice. And that's what the prophet Jeremiah is saying here. Don't, you know, you can't, maybe you've heard me say it. It is idolatry to expect from a human being what you can only get from God. Well, a man marries a woman thinking, oh, she's perfect. She'll never change from the sweet girl I'm marrying. A woman looks at a man and thinks, oh, I can change him. <laughs> that both are wrong. She is going to change, and guess what? He probably isn't going to. So, uh, you know, the, this idea that, that that my spouse has to be perfect, my kids have to be perfect, and, and we're so angry when some human being disappoints us and doesn't live up to our expectations. What? I mean, I got to live up to your expectations? Good luck with that. To expect from a human being the perfection that you can only find in God is, I think, in fact, idolatry. Cursed is the man who trusts in human beings, who seeks his strength in flesh, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a barren bush in a desert that enjoys no change of, change of season, but, but stands in a flat desert waste. Uh, uh, so blessed is the man who trusts the Lord. This this is okay. This is right. Then it moves on. More tortuous than all else is the human heart. Beyond remedy, who can understand it? Well, this is pretty negative. Um, yeah, you know, I didn't look up the word tortuous, so you can get the, you can get the elevator music going on because I want to I want to look up what the Hebrew word for tortuous is. I. I forgot to look that Good up. Grief. I like words. I'm sorry. They're just interesting. I'm going to need to find some other elevator music. Yeah, we're in the same elevator. All right, I think I got it. Uh, Jeremiah, yes, the heart is deceitful. That's the word. I th- let, me, let me look and see if that's what the Hebrew, really, the Hebrew text really says. Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> it's worse than that. It says, uh, no, it's not worse than that. It's, it's uh, well, yeah, it's desperately wicked it throws in there. It's it's uh, it's sick. It's weak. Fire it's and brimstone coming down from the skies. Yes, <laughs> that, that reminds me of uh, parish mission. I was I had a wonderful time by the way at Antioch for those of you who were at that parish mission, and uh, it was in the midst of a thunderstorm. Great background. I'm, I'm talking about hellfire. And... No, it was serious. All right, insidious, deceitful, and this is tracked by footprints. That's fascinating. Uh, that 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 you're tracking an animal by footprints. That that the human heart is as sneaky as as prey going through a, the bushes. This is kind. Of, it's it's which is a Hebrew consonant that it's like you got something stuck in your throat that you can't hear. Akob. This is that's kind of interesting. Let's get back to the text. Oh, I think it's all interesting, and it's beyond remedy, uh, incurable. It's, it's, it's sick beyond cure. Wow. That's really, you know, uh, the, the human heart is sneaky and incurable. 
I the, lo- I, the Lord alone, probe the mind and test the heart to reward everyone according to his ways, according to the merit of his deeds. And merit is going to be the word of the day. Very interesting. Let's go to the gospel. Uh, let me look at the clock because this is the fun part. I think this gospel is hysterically funny. But yeah, there was a rich man who dressed in purple garments and fine linen and dined sumptuously each day. Now, he's saying this to the Pharisees. This starts out the joke. His audience are Pharisees. The Pharisees were not the Sadducees. The Sadducees were a collaborationist group. Well, the Pharisees were kind of collaborationists too. They cooperated with the Romans. The Pharisees, just the Romans, leave us alone. If we can practice our religion, we're good, you're good. The Sadducees, however, were in control of the priesthood and in control of the temple, making a huge amount of money from the revenues of the, 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 the sale of sacrificial animals. And um, they were controlled by a, a small family that, that a, a really clever fellow named Anas or Hanania, he was high priest. And high priesthood was supposed to be for life. But Herod the Great and the Romans following realized you don't want to do that because he was, in effect, the, 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 the most popular leadership in, in Israel that the Jews looked at the high priest as— as as if he was their 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 king because they Herod was a foreigner who claimed to be Jewish and he wasn't Jewish and the Romans uh, who wanted the Romans with all their weird gods so yeah the the real de facto leader of the people was considered to be the high priest and he was uh, I think I'm not sure but I think the high priest was was in was the uh, the chairman of the Sanhedrin he's the, the the would be our equivalent of Supreme Court justice. He's uh, a very important guy. So this guy Annas was high priest, and when the Romans and I, the Romans kept, I believe the Romans kept the high priestly vestments. That if the high priest had to exercise his ministry, he had to go get his vestments from the Romans. It had been Herod before him, and then the Romans. And uh, that this was this was a, a matter of control. The high priest didn't go to the temple every day and uh, 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 you know sort of punch in on the clock and start slaughtering animals. No, he he only came for the big events and and uh, you know the the rank and file of the priesthood. They did the work. So uh, <clears throat> this is Annas. Well, when he was no longer high priest, he got his son. As high priest, and then his next son, and his next son, and then his son-in-law. He had all together, all together. I think there were uh, the son-in-law and five sons. It's very interesting. One of his sons was Theophilus, and Doctor Brand Pitrie, a very smart cookie, uh, is of the theory, and I agree with him. I think it's most probable that the Theophilus, to whom the, uh, the the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles were addressed, was Your Excellency Theophilus. One of the youngest son, I believe, was the youngest son of Annas. So this was a family who ran things, and they they uh, they controlled the revenues for sacrificial animals that were certified kosher, and the prices were jacked way up. They were making money coming and going. Now, they were not Pharisees. The Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't get along. The Sadducees believed only in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. The Pharisees believed in in uh, the the prophets and the writings, 
And um, the Pharisees believed in the judgment and the survival of death. The Sadducees did not. They were not friends, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There was a rich man who dressed in purple garments and fine linen and dined sumptuously each day. This is the high priest. Purple garments and fine linen. You go back to the description of the high priest vestments in 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 the in the Torah, you're gonna get fine twined linen and purple and colors and well, there's a poor man named Lazarus. And we were talking about this at lunch today. And interestingly, this would have happened before Lazarus was raised from the dead. And I wonder, you know, some of us were speculating, could Jesus have been anticipating this? I don't know. Lazarus is a very common Jewish name. It would have been like Joe Smith. So it might have just been that. But, and so he's covered with sores, and he would gladly have eaten as full of the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. Here we go again. I have told you that in that parable about uh, the Syrian Syrophoenish woman, uh, the Lebanese woman who asked Jesus to heal her daughter, and he said, should the, the scraps be thrown to the dogs? The word dog doesn't appear in the passage. It's puppy. And I'm just infuriated by a certain theologian who claims that that uh, this Canaanite woman taught Jesus how not to be a racist uh, when he called her a dog. He didn't call her a dog. called her a puppy, which is quite different. The word kinarion is used in that parable. But in this, it's a kiosk. It's a real live dog, a cur, a, a street dog. And this, the dogs are licking this guy's sores. So um, the scraps that fall from the table aren't even feeding the poor man. The poor man is feeding the dog. Interesting. So that's just grinding my axe again. Sorry about that. But uh, the, the, the next uh, telling point is that uh, uh, Father Abram, pity on me, send Lazarus. You know, that the rich seem to think that the poor exist for their convenience. That frequently is true. Um, he says, I have five brothers. This would have been Caiaphas who had five actual five brothers-in-law, and this would have been his father-in-law. But Jesus says there's an inseparable gulf between us. And a lot of people say, well, that, that means you can't pray to the saints because there's an inseparable gulf. Well, uh, that gulf has been bridged by the cross of Christ, and they're trying to read something into the parable. But Jesus is dissing the high priestly class, and he's talking to the Pharisees who would have been nodding their heads and, and kind of laughing at this. So I think that this is, is humor in a way, and um, humor with a very serious uh, uh, meaning. And I think it is interesting that this poor man is called Lazarus because if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Abraham said, if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, even if someone should rise from the dead. Do you remember what happened to Lazarus who was raised from the dead? They wanted to kill him. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that sounds crazy to us. Jesus raised him from the dead. They're going to kill him. Jesus just raised him from the dead again. Oh, don't be ridiculous. Jesus raises one of his best friends from the dead. So he went into, into the, a cave, and they rolled a stone in front of him and spent the next few days getting some rest and reading back copies of, of Field and Stream or National Geographic. Uh, yeah, big, yeah, he raised his friend from the dead. If God works a miracle in your life, you can say, nah, it was just a coincidence. It was just crowd hysteria. It was just, 
I've told you, I'll tell you again. Miracles don't make faith. Faith makes miracles. Now, if a person is disposed to faith and God works a miracle, yeah, that'll that'll strengthen his faith. But seriously, if I want to deny the miracles of Christ, I can. People say, how could Judas have walked with Jesus all those years and seen all those people healed and then turn his back on Jesus? He convinced himself that, nah, they weren't real miracles. It was just crowd hysteria. Miracles are very expensive. God works a miracle in your life, and you belong to him. And a lot of people see great miracles and don't want to belong to God. I look at the Shroud of Turin. To me, the Shroud of Turin is one of the most amazingly miraculous things. Even if it were not the burial cloth of Christ, it would be one of the greatest miracles in history. But I have no doubt that it's the burial cloth of Christ. And tests that have been done in the past few years assure us that that the, the cloth comes from the time of Christ uh, and I've I've shared with you, and it's not for younger or more sensitive viewers. I would not allow a child to see it unless that was a very mature child. A fellow named Alvaro Blanco has made a a hyper realistic image of the man in the shroud with the information, the holographic information that's built into the shroud. There's holographic information. There's three dimensional information. There's photographic information, and in this supposed medieval forgery. Yeah, right. No, this 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 perfectly portrays. What Jesus went through. This guy named Alvaro Blanco. I think uh, AP News Service does a, 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 a video on it. You can find on YouTube. It's easy to find on YouTube. Uh, but again, you look at it and you think, my sins did this to Jesus? Oh, the shroud is just a fraud. They proved it's a fraud. I remember the smirk on the faces of the professors that proved it was a fraud. Do you realize that they got a tremendous grant after that of money for proving that the shroud was a fraud, and that that um, <clears throat> they did they they did not allow the information uh, uh, about the experiments, which proved the experiments were invalid, out into the public. They didn't publish their findings; they just published their conclusion. That, that shroud test was a fraud, and, and I have no doubt it's the real thing. But, but mm, all the evidence involved, nah. If they will, they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone should rise from the dead. Faith makes miracles. Miracles do not make faith. And, you know, remember, I'm always telling you what the word faith means. It means trust. Trust Jesus. Trust him, and then you'll begin to see miracles. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back with some letters and other stuff, and you can call in at 8. Oh, by the way, I want to give a shout-out to to one of my former students. He's one of the few who actually paid attention and learned some Latin. Bishop Olson of Fort Worth. If you're listening, Bishop Olson, hello. Yay. He's a great guy. He's, uh, I was very honored to be his, his professor. He... He, he knew more than I did, was much smarter than I ever will be. All right, let's go to the break. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Father Simon says... Please, don't get upset with me. It's been a long day. On Relevant Radio. Could be worse. How? Could be raining. Today we'd like to thank Tammy, who is listening in Florida, for donating her 2016 BMW Z4. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. That's relevantradio.com slash car. Lord, I'm traveling on for 
Lord Jesus Night and day, night and day Let me tell you I'm traveling on up for Jesus night and day McGarrigals uh, and uh, Traveling On Now for Jesus. I think it's a Jamaican song. I don't know the origin of the song, but it's a, it's a great song. They're surely not Cana- or Jamaican. No, no, they're, they're Canadian, half uh, English-speaking, half French-speaking. They do have a fascinating French album, the McGarrigals. Well, one of the sisters is now dead. May she rest in peace, but... Uh, I'm, I'm not doing commercials for the McGarrigals. Let's get back to the letters. I think that's where we are. Letters, yes. This is a letter from Dan, and I just wanted to read it and say thank you. Um, uh, I was This morning I was listening to your program. You explained that God is not in the business of contracts but covenants. Uh, the the uh, He's reading a book called The Prophets by Abram Herschel, and here's a quote from the reading. In contrast to our civilization, the Hebrews lived in a world of covenant rather than a world of contracts. The idea of contracts was unknown to them. The God of Israel cares little for contract and the cash nexus, as he cares for more slavish obedience and obsequiousness. His chosen sphere is that of covenant. And this is a real important idea. I mean, the word testament uh, in Hebrew is barith, which is bris. We think of a testament as sort of your last will, but... uh, the word really, in the consecration of, of the chalice, this is the blood of the new covenant. Uh, that that uh, um, The word testamentum and covenant meant the same thing in Latin. So we get it confused, but this is the blood of the new covenant. This is the blood of the new berith in Hebrew. And I don't know if you've ever been to baris. A bris is a circumcision. And when a Hebrew, a Jew here, today, here today's bris, there's going to be a caterer. I mean, this is this is a big deal. And it's it's a covenant. And the thing about the circumcision, and again, I'm sorry if there are small ears listening and you'll have to explain all this, but the idea of a circumcision, it is irrevocable. That that it is a mark in your flesh and in in the generative organ. Uh again, forgive me for being indelicate, but this is uh, this is um, uh, not Revocable. That's why circumcision was the sign of the covenant, of the berith. And when Jesus would have said this, this would have been the new berith, the new bris. Um, uh, it's, it's a very important idea. And the shedding of blood was irrevocable. You know, sacrifice, again, with the sacrifice. The, the Old Testament runs with, the pages run with sacrificial blood. I remember Rabbi Lefkowitz would say, well, God gave us temples and sacrifices so he wouldn't backslide into the errors of the Gentiles. You know, we think that <clears throat> the the ethical and moral content of the Torah is more important. That's what's really important. And I always wanted to say, Rabbi, are we reading the same Bible? Because the Old Testament, as I said, runs with sacrificial blood. A, a bloody sacrifice is irrevocable. Uh, and, and that's the idea of sacrifice, that as 
may our covenant be as irrevocable as what has happened to this lamb. And may what has happened to this lamb happen to me if I should break this covenant, if I should break faith with the covenant. Uh, I think that that's a very, very important thing for us to stand, we, to understand. We don't rack up good works uh, so that, so that uh, God owes us. God doesn't owe us and will never owe us, no matter how good our works are. But through our works, our works are the fruit of a covenant. We act a certain way if we are in a certain relationship with a person. And we are in a relationship with a personal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So this idea of the covenant is very, very important. Understand that you belong to God. I belong to God because we have drunk the blood of the covenant at Mass. All right. So thanks, Dan. That was that was uh, um, uh, that's a very useful quote. All right. Let's see here. All right. What's this one? Let me see. Okay. No, okay, okay, let's see here. Okay, let me go to, I got to go to this other email, email number one, because there's a few things. Are you kidding me? No, no, I wouldn't kid you about that. Okay, here we go. All right, this is, um, okay, clicking. All right. Good grief. Uh, In the past, this is something that came in asking about, the ablution cup. In the past Lenten lesson, a different term for what I know is the ablution cup was used. I've been unable to find it. I don't know what that is either. Uh, uh, do you know what the end of the ablution cup was? There was another term used for ablution cup. I wonder if the voice in my head knows in it. In the video, there was another I, term I, for it? I think this is what the caller's asking. I, What do we call that? I just call it the finger bowl. I've always know. heard it as the ablution cup. Yeah, bowl. the ablution cup. Yeah. That's well, I, mean, I just want to explain to people what the ablution cup is. It's you know, and, and these are just these are symbols of respect. Uh they're not matters of of chemical uh you know, this is not a clean room in the chemical sense. But next to the tabernacle, traditionally, is a small cup that is has a cover on it. It's a gla- like a little glass finger bowl that has a cover on it. And when a priest touches the Blessed Sacrament outside the context of Mass, the tradition is that he washes his fingers in that little ablution cup, uh, that little cup that's by the tabernacle with water in it. And a priest would wash his fingers uh, with water. It used to be just a drop, first wine, and then a drop of wine and water poured over his fingers over the chalice after communion. I do not believe that is liturgically required anymore, but it is, uh, they're beautiful symbols of, of, um, of respect for the Holy Eucharist. The idea that even the crumbs are sacred. In fact, I think in the Coptic Church, uh, I think they call them pearls. If crumbs fall from the Blessed Sacrament, they make a big deal of it, and they call them pearls. I think that's, that's uh, what's going on. All right. Um, I think that that's uh, if if I find the other name for ablution cup, I'll 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 share it. But I, I've always thought it was ablution cup. Okay. The uh, this is someone who again is commenting on um, on uh, Father Rocky's Lenten lessons, which are wonderful. You you should be really listening to them. I like today's lesson. Why we repeat three times? Now, I, the the I'm sure not why we strike our breast three times. Well, the striking of the breast is symbolic of penance. 
You're beating yourself up. People say, don't stop. Oh, stop beating yourself up. No, sometimes I need to beat me up. So that's what the, the striking of the breast is three times. Through my fault, through my fault, through my max, my, my grievous fault. And, and, of course, the repetition of threes in Hebrew is, is, is kind of a sure thing. If you go to synagogue three uh, times in a row and sit in the same seat, three times in a row, that's your seat. And someone else is sitting in it. You come and you look at them, you glare at them, and they move. That's... Uh, that's why uh, three days in the tomb and in the story of Lazarus, he's been in the tomb. I think it's four days. He, when you're in the tomb three days, you're dead for sure, for sure. So three is a very important number symbolically. In Hebrew, it, it means a fullness and a completion. So there you go. Let me see what else I got here. Let me find another letter, letter. All right, all right. Scrolling down to... Good grief, I got all this stuff in here. I get a lot of Oh bother. Oh bother is right, let me see. All right. Um, um this is someone who has a, uh, a point. I have a point, I have to point out what I feel is a very poor supposition on your part. You relate a story about a Mozart raking where a third of the congregation left after the Sanctus. As you well know, it's been a tradition since at least Vatican II to leave after community to get a good seat. <laughs> That's oh dear. Uh, um, the the uh, uh, Lord knows you don't want to be in line with the drummer from the guitar mass when all he does is thump out a beat on the counter while waiting to be seated at <laughs> at the restaurant you're going to. Um, I'm seventy at seventy one years. I've never noticed people exiting at the Sanctus, neither the new or the old right. No, this was a mass that was a concert version of of Mozart's Requiem accompanying a mass. And uh, that's it was advertised widely, Mozart's Requiem. Well, they weren't interested in the mass, so that's the point. Uh, people not departing from this, just the sanctus of a mass, but these were people who came to hear Beethoven, or rather Mozart, and and not, not honor the Lord. And uh, I found that very, what's the word, unsettling. So, okay. Let's see. What time? Well, let's go to a break, and we'll come back with the word of the day because, well, I'm excited about the word of the day, and then we'll take phone calls. 888-914-9149. This hour is sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. Father Simon says, More information than you actually needed, but hey, fun. On Relevant Radio. Two hours of pushing broom by the eight by twelve Four-bedroom, I'm a man of means, by no means. Well, this is interesting. King of the road. <laughs> King of the road. Well, We're, you've been on the road a lot. I so. guess. <laughs> it's a living. All right, let's go to the word of the day. Well, this was just kind of a fun thing. Uh, the In the first reading, uh, we read uh, that... that um, 
to reward everyone according to his ways, according to the merit of his deeds. And, yeah, that's kind of a loaded word in in uh, the great controversy between uh, salvation. I got a joke. You know, Catholics, Catholics and Lutherans have been arguing about salvation by faith and, and works. We say we're saved by faith, but us Catholics, we're still working our way into heaven. And, you know, the Episcopalians and high church Presbyterians, I've heard, are saved by good taste. And if you're a Methodist, all you have to do is bring a casserole. I don't get it. I don't it's get it. It's a joke, Homer. People politely laugh at it, at least. All right, let's, let's you know. So the idea of merit is kind of, I think it's funny, but, oh, dear, it's probably insulting to people, too. But, hey, that's humor. But Father, someone called in to talk about what the dish, about that dish. And yes. And said it's a piscina that someone also calls it. Father Rocky had it in the Lenten video. Uh, hey, Father Rocky called it a piscina, huh? Yeah. Oh, it's a piscina, which means a, a pool in, 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 in Italian, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty small for a pool, but okay, it's a piscina, P-I-S-C-I-N-A, right? There you go. Now we know I'm going to continue to call it the ablution cup. Ablution means washing. That's another fancy Latin word. Let's get back to the word of the day. Oh, we're just learning like crazy here. Uh, this idea of merit is kind of controversial since the Reformation. That that uh, do we merit heaven? Well, yes, we do. Uh, but by the grace of God, we merit heaven. You know, I, I explaining this whole controversy about grace and and works. I think that it's referred to in the very first chapter of the Gospel of John, when we read that he gave us uh, uh, that he 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 gave us grace anticaritos. Grace against grace. I think this is how grace works, that God calls us. And we say, yes, Lord, we've responded to grace. Uh, we could say when he calls us, Lord, I'm busy now. And we don't respond to grace. But if we respond to grace, he gives us a greater grace. And if we respond to that, he gives us yet a, another greater grace. Grace upon grace. Charin antikaritos, grace against grace in, in Greek. Uh, so you know that 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 we we merit grace by responding to grace. That that it's like the raising of a child. That that you want to cooperate with mom and dad to learn, uh, or you don't want to cooperate. So it isn't either or. But the, the in the Reformation it became, and in many religious minds, it's it's really an either or thing now. So I decided to look this up in Hebrew, which I did. Where did I put it in Hebrew? Okay, this is Hebrew. Ah, no, that's... that's. I've uh, made a huge mistake. Oh, no, no, I didn't. It's here, I think, I hope. Yes, it's here. Ah, the word, it it, it really, it's fascinating because it isn't the, the what is what do they say in the text of the reading? The merit of his deeds. That's not quite what is said. What is said is, and don't tell me I lost it. Oh dear, no, it's got to be here. Please don't, don't, don't. No, you know this is I the put. Worst day of my life. I, well, no, worst day of your not life the worst so one. Come, Jeremiah. Ah, here it is. Phew, thought I'd lost it. Um, the it says, I the Lord search the heart, and I test the mind. Um. <clears throat> even to give every man uh, according to his ways. And, and, and that word is the same as like road, according to the path he takes. And then here is the word for merit. 
the it's 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 pity, and according to the fruit of what he does. This is an interesting way to look at merit. We're not just racking up brownie points. We're creating the world in which we live. That Adam was told to tend to the garden. We always think Adam just laid around and did nothing. Adam had a job in the garden. He was to care for the garden and to guard it. Uh, the word is shomer in Hebrew. And uh, a shomer. Uh, he was, he was uh, the guardian of this garden the cultivator of its fruit in that sense. And what we do bears fruit. Uh, I remember hearing the story of a, a fellow who uh, in later life was racked by guilt because as a boy he had turned a signpost around. This was uh, the olden days when you had, you know, things pointing, you know, you know, Dodge that way, Chicago that way. He turned the sign around. He wondered how many travelers he had sent in the wrong direction. What harm had he caused by turning that signpost? The fruit of uh, the fruit of our deeds. That's that's literally what that is, and that makes great sense. That I am responsible for the fruit of my deeds, and thus, you know, I I, I think that when we talk about merit, forget about merit. Think about the fruit of your deeds. That that. Are you willing that this do good, or are you willing that it do harm? Um, That's just a thought on it. I'm going to have to ponder it a little more, but I thought that was an interesting way to look at merit, not as, you know, brownie points in a bank account, but as as the inevitable result of how we live our lives, and that counts. All right, let's go to phone calls. Ah. He gets mad because he can't read. Oh, I see. Julie, I can read. What can I do for you? Hello, Father Simon. Um, I wanted to ask you about that uh, gospel reading that you were talking about today. And and there are others similar that say, you know, we're to trust just in the Lord. But how do you square that away with counselors or um, psychologists or, or, you know, somebody that you would be um, sharing intimate information and so forth? Um, and, and then you trust in what they tell you. Uh, how do you square that away with just going to Jesus alone? Well, you square it away by remembering what Jesus said in a reading earlier. <laughs> the, they call no man rabbi, call no man teacher, call no man father. That you don't take anyone's advice slavishly. The scripture says elsewhere, on the strength of two or three witnesses, every word is confirmed. Just because a counselor tells you or or uh, a, a priest tells you, you know, get a few opinions and and uh, and and pray about it yourself. You know, you can listen to other people's opinions, but don't treat anyone like a guru. When when the scripture says, "Call no man father, call no man teacher, call no man rabbi," what it's saying, I believe Jesus is telling us, don't have any gurus, and that's good advice that no one should be in absolute control of your life except Christ. And, and uh, you know, you, you, you listen to counselors, uh, and, uh, you know, before you would go to any counselor, you, you should look up the recommendations and, and uh, you know, thoroughly investigate anyone to whom you're going to tell intimate details of your life, be it counselor, accountant, doctor, or <laughs> pastor. 
you, you need to, to understand that. And if someone says, this is what you have to do, or else, mm, let me pray about it. Don't pray about it. This is God talking. If someone says, this is God talking to you, mm, I'll pray about it. I'll pray about it. Uh, I think that's important. Um, um, even in, in, in spiritual direction, um, that, that, that we, we don't give up uh, our own freedom of, of, of choice and thus our responsibility. Does that help a little? Yes, Father, thank you. Do, All right. Do you have time for a little quickie? What's that? Um, I was wondering if you had a photograph, an original photograph of um, a saint. Would that be considered a relic? I don't think so. I don't think so. It's certainly a, a, a treasure, but I don't think it's it's considered a relic. So, okay. All right. God bless you, Thank Thanks you, for calling in. If I'm wrong about that, I'd like to be corrected. If anybody knows otherwise, let's go to Eric from St. Paul, Minnesota. Don't you know? Yes, Father. You know, many times you use the phrase uh, from St. Faustina's diary when at the hour of death she was questioning Jesus about certain people who never knew Christ or other people who may have somewhat fallen away and, and Jesus kind of I'm paraphrasing, reassured her at not to worry about that. But you always use, he said these words, at the hour of, of death, I am mine own apostle. Yeah. In other words, it overstates, I mean, it supersedes what rules we kind of know. I've been looking for that verse in St. Faustina's diary and I've never been able to find it. It's uh, that my saying of it is kind of a paraphrase of it, and someone sent me in the real quote, and I don't have it now. And if someone would be so kind as to send that in, I would share it on the radio. But it, it, was, uh, it was more elaborate than my, my brief uh, statement of it. I'm my own apostle. But, uh, and again, uh, this is a hopeful thing. I think uh, that we can more reasonably look at what Pope Benedict said, that, that in God, God in his justice and in his mercy, Pope Benedict believed God would extend the invitation of salvation to all people, that he wouldn't just say, well, you didn't have the chance to hear me tough, you're going to hell. That's not the way God works. And St. Benedict said something implying that too, the footnote of which I do not have either. So if, if anybody will be so kind as to, to send me that quote in again, uh, uh, I would I will share it on the radio, Eric. And you're right; it's I should footnote these things more carefully. But I'm quite sure that it it is in there, in the in the the diary of Saint Faustina. But it's to remember that Saint Faustina is uh, 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 these are her locutions and her her prophetic words, and I think they're beautiful and very important. But they're not part of the the uh, the uh, deposit of faith, and and thus we we. Uh, are careful in our application of them. It isn't Catholic doctrine, but it's uh, it's good stuff. So I, people get very upset. Well, uh, you know, someone a couple of weeks ago said, "Well, our Blessed Mother herself said." No, her Blessed Mother herself said to some visionary who said to somebody, eh, uh, "That's that's not required as a belief of faith." Uh, and people get confused by imprimaturs, I think, and that sort of thing. They, if a book's got an imprimatur, it's Catholic doctrine. No, it's just there's nothing. A bishop has had this studied, and there seems to be nothing 
counter to Catholic faith in this book. Doesn't mean that the book is Catholic teaching, but that there's nothing against Catholic teaching in it insofar as the bishop and his uh, his delegates have been able to find. So I hope that helps, Eric. God bless. And if if someone will call in and, and let me know, we got we we we. I would, I, you all know that I need help big time. All right, let's go to Olivia from Chicago Heights. Thank you, Padrecito. Thank you. Muchas gracias, mija. What can I do for you? Uh, I just wanted to say hello, Father. I met you like three decades ago. Oh, my. We, yes, a Rosa Chico who passed away like two years ago. She introduced me to you. I didn't realize that Rosa had gone to the Lord. Oh, my. Yes, yes, she did. I think it was like a rather brief uh, illness, and uh, the Lord took her. And so I just wanted to say hello to you. Thank you. Um, I uh, came to St. Aloysius for the Circulo de Oración. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to say hello. Oh, hello. Well, thank thank you. Thank you so much for your anointed words. I listen to you almost every day. That's very kind, and I will I will certainly offer mass for the repose of Rosa's soul. That's that's. I, thank you for letting me know that. I I you know I've, I've been retired for a couple of years, so I, I was unaware of it. Well, God bless and thanks for calling in, Olivia. And I'm honored that you called. Que Dios le bendiga. All right, God bless. Okay. Let's go to Mike. Mike, who's calling in from Santa Ana, California. What can Hi, I do Father. for you? What can I do for Hi, you, Father? Mike? Go on. Uh, this uh, weekend, uh, this Sunday, we'll have the reading about the uh, Jesus' cleansing of the mark of, yes. of the Father's temple. Uh, and uh, he, in, it, in the reading, he says, uh, stop making my father's place, my father's house a marketplace. Mm-hmm. Yes. But years ago, I remember hearing him, him saying, stop making my father's house a den of thieves. And I was wondering which one is more accurate. Well, let's look up the text. Hold on. Do um, okay. There's the music. While I look this up. Okay, clicking enter. Oh ah, it's we. Uh, it's it's in a number of gospels. We have in in the Gospel of Matthew, um, yeah. it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. And then oh. we have uh, uh, um, in Mark, it is called a den of robbers. And uh, in Luke, uh, it says den of robbers. Uh, let's let's look these up. So it's 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 all of the above. Hold on. Um, Den of Robbers is mentioned in all three of those. Okay. Now let's see what St. John says. And, and John, John, it's very interesting. John, uh, 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 you know, the Gospel of John is fascinating because in the Gospel of John, uh, um, the cleansing of the temple appears in uh, um, the beginning of the gospel, which I think yes. is interesting. Yes. And he calls it a marketplace. The, you know, this is gonna. There's a doctorate in this question, which I'm never going to get. But 
it's fascinating that in the Gospel of John, the cleansing of the temple is at the beginning of the Gospel. Yes. And it is at the end of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. When did it happen? Yes. I have heard great scholars say, well, Jesus must have done it twice. I don't believe that. This is one of the things that got him killed. The Gospel of John, I theorize, was written to the disciples of John the Baptist, who was one of the Dead Sea sectaries, and washing was very important to them. And they had messianic expectations uh, that, that Jesus, the oh, I've only got 60 seconds, the Messiah would cleanse the temple. That was one of the, the expectations. And the, the people who went out to the desert and formed these sects, these different groups, were from priestly families, as was John the Baptist. And they would have known that he was talking about uh, the selling of uh, sacrificial animals by Annas the high priest and his family at jacked-up prices. So John puts in marketplace because he's speaking to the, a certain group of people who would have disapproved of this abuse of priestly authority. That's my theory on it. But the den of robbers, Jesus might have called them both. Marketplaces are often dens of robbers, but the more common one is the den of thieves, the den of robbers. Huh, listen, Drew's coming up. <laughs> <laughs> 